Welcome to Momentum Church. All right, we're getting into week two of Problem People 101. How many enjoyed last week's week one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many had to deal with some critical people this week and it helped you? Some of y'all? All right, good, good, good. Yeah, so last week we began with critical people, looking at critically pe- critical people. If you missed it, it'd be a great one to catch back up on. This week, as we look at Problem People 101, we're helping you to manage those difficult relationships in life. This week, we're going to be looking at the subject of overly needy people. Overly needy people. Now, I told you last week, and I want to remind you, this sermon isn't to look at other people and say, I can't believe those overly needy people in my life. How dare them, right? No, no. Part of it is to understand how to manage those relationships. But if we're honest with ourselves, this is going to step on some of our toes too. There's a part of the sermon today I don't like. I wasn't going to preach it because it's about me and the needs that I have. And so, oh, so every one of us at times in this sermon, you might feel your toes a little bit. That's all right. Just, just stick them out there. Just get it over with. Don't pull them back. Just get them stomped on quick. All right. And so, and then my last rule for newer people that are with us, if you dialogue with me, I'm an audience participation preacher. We'll get out of here quick. If you don't, I'll preach longer. <laughs> no. So when it comes down to it, when it comes to overly needy people, they're everywhere. You know, you, you will find them at work. You'll find overly needy people in your relationships with friends. You'll find it in your romantic. How many dated somebody that was extremely overly needed? Yeah, don't, don't, don't raise your hand if you married them. Okay. And a lot of this teaching today, you look straight ahead. Just look straight ahead, right? Yeah. Um, some of you will have people that are overly needy in your life, and we call those family members, right? Every one of us has overly needy people. And let me define it. An overly needy person is someone who feels like they need more attention. They got to have more validation. They need some benefits right now. And those things usually come at the expense of another person's finances or time or energy and so on. That's what I mean by overly needy people. It's people who live as if the world revolves around them. Everything that they want right now takes priority. And in that matter, moment, it doesn't matter what it demands from others. What I want is the most important thing right now. And I ran into this this week at the campground. And so Amy and I, we went out camping with our kids. Um, Fridays are my day off. And so we started a thing a while back where we'll take off on Thursday night around five or six after I get off work and we'll run up to a campground and stay Friday, Thursday night and then stay Friday until late and then come home sometime late Friday night so we can work on Saturday. And um, so we did that again. Well, Friday night, a family pulls into the tent camp areas because we're camping in the tent areas, which means water only. There's not water and electric, just water. And so a camper pulls in. It says rent on it. So I'm like, oh, it's a rental, a family renting a camper. And, and no big deal. They're setting up and everything. And about 5.36 o'clock, the generator kicks on, which is fine. I get it. It's the hottest moment of the day. It wasn't that hot on Friday, but it's the hottest moment. You know, they're cooling everything off. I get it, you know. They're charging up phones. They've just traveled a long ways, and no big deal. 9.30, the generator's still running. How many camp? Everybody's quiet. 
Camp etiquette, right? So, so long story short, I, I, people are saying, you should say something. No, you say something. No, you should say something. I'm leaving. I don't care. I'm going home tonight, you know? You should say something. So I said something. <laughs> I said it in a nice way, but I go over to the camper, and, um, and I knock on it. I hadn't seen nobody in hours, and I knock on it. Ain't nobody home. They're cooling off an empty camper. Now, the mind you, you guys all know I'm deaf. That's what this is. It's a hearing aid. I can only hear one thing at a time. That's it. If there's two noises, it's hard for me to make out voices, even with my aid. And man, my adult kids came over that night to hang out at the campfire. I can't, I mean, they, it, just, it was a miserable three hours just listening to, you know, that's all I'm hearing. Not there, a lady comes up, hey, excuse me, this is my friend's camper, is something wrong? And I'm like, hey, I just was wondering where your friend is, I wanted to talk to them about something. Oh, they're over there with the whole big group that's partying over there. I'm like, oh, okay. I, she said, what's, what's going on? I said, well, they've been running the, the, the generator for like three and a half hours, like, like a long time, and we're getting ready to leave, and I'm just telling you, if I don't say something, somebody's going to say something, because it's just been such a long stretch of generator. So I thought we were done, you know, not too long later, I hear it turn off. I thought, well, she must have told her friend. Well, then the guy shows up at my campsite. Oh, no. He's walking up, and I'm trying to look big. Oh. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. But he's coming up, and, and um, he's like, hey, excuse me, we got a problem? I'm like, well, no, no, no. I, and then I just was like, look, I... I don't know how often you camp, you know, it's like I, I get it, needing a generator, you know, and he's like, well, I wanted to cool it off for my family, I wanted to be nice and cool, and I'm like, I, I get that, but a camper will cool off in a half hour, I mean, like, it, you didn't need it running all this time, and, and um, everybody's quiet now, looking at me like I'm a jerk, so <laughs> shut up, no, so um, I just was explaining how, you know, it's like, you know, run in a half hour, so if you needed to have electricity that much, rent a site with electric, you know, if you need to run it for hours and hours and hours, and I guarantee you the amount of gas you've spent would be cheaper than running the site for electric. And he said, well, it's just my friends are all here, and we wanted to be camping by them, and so that's why I was like, that's cool, man. I'm, I'm leaving. Well, I don't want you to leave. He was nice that way. I was like, no, I'm not leaving because of you. I'm just, I just knew if I didn't say something before bedtime, somebody's going to say something because it's been running for hours and hours and hours, you know. So with everybody being quiet in the room, um, I can tell you think I'm a jerk, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> But basically, his need for air conditioning for his family, and I get it. I understand it. My family, I get it. We're sleeping over here in tents and hammocks. And you don't look at me and be like, you're just jealous. No, we've had a 32-foot camper that my wife wanted us to get rid of because she goes, I feel like I'm sleeping in a hotel. Yeah. I love my wife. She's like, if I want to sleep in a hotel, I'd sleep in a hotel. I want to sleep under canvas. That's my girl. Marry that girl. I'm telling I did. Almost 30 years ago. Whew. And um, so, yeah, so I wasn't jealous, but I'm just like, it's not that hot of a night. You know, it's like, oh, and um, whatever. I've got off. But all I'm saying is, they're, pro they're in that moment, their need for that cool air on tap when they get in three hours later, <laughs> literally kept us from hearing each other talk for three hours. And um, so, yes. But Ross, we're supposed to be good to people. Yes, we are. 
but Ross, we're supposed to watch out for people's needs. You're, you're saying that we should be careful of the overly needy, and what about people that have true needs? No, you're absolutely right, and we're going to speak to that today, because in John, 1 John, John wrote it this way in 1 John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love, love abide in him? Yeah, we want God's love to abide in him. So we need to have eyes that are looking for people to help. Amen? Jesus said it in Matthew 19, 21. He said, if you would be perfect, you want to be perfect? Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So we can see here that Jesus wants his followers, us, to be generous. But I do feel there are some things in regards to being generous to overly needy people that it puts us in a bad position and it puts them in a bad position in the long run, all right? So we as Christ followers should have a mindset to be generous, but generous to who? First, those who are truly in need. We need to be able to understand who has true need. Around here, we do benevolence, and we will help people that can't help themselves. We will not help people who won't help themselves. Does that make sense? So who has that true need? Also, we want to help those that are too embarrassed to ask for help. Every one of us knows people who would never ask a thing, and you know they have a need. We want to step forward, and we want to help people in our lives that are like that. Like, I just don't want to ask no help from nobody. Don't you want to help people like that? Yeah, yeah. And so these aren't the people who I'm talking about this morning. Who I'm talking about, the overly needy, are the emotional vampires in our lives. Those who seem to suck from everyone else what they need in that moment, right then, right now. Everybody go, no, don't do that. (laughs) Emotional vampires. And I want to give you a few. Is that okay? Now, I'll give you the caveat. One of these is me. When I get there, I'll let you know. So I, I don't want you to feel like I'm just pointing fingers. But one of these is really seriously me. I've had to work on it for years. The first one is this, the incurably insecure. The incurably insecure. This is the person that calls you and you don't answer. Because you're doing something. You're, you're elbow deep in a motor fixing your car or something. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing something. You don't. Then the text comes. Hey, you didn't answer. Why don't you give me a text back? You're still doing something. Then another text. Is there something wrong? Are you upset with me? Are you mad at me? Not yet, but I'm getting there. You know? We have friends like this. We have family like this, right? And, and there's a, a level of insecurity. They need your validation right now. Or man, it feels like their world's going to end in that moment. You didn't call me back. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot. We're talking now. So the incurably insecure. Number two, drama queens. This is fun. Drama queens, that person in your life that's like, I guess it could be drama kings as well, that person in your life that's like, today is the worst day of my life. I thought you said that last Thursday. (laughs) Anybody have some friends, family? Yeah, yeah. Drama queens, today's the worst day. Everything's always drama. And the thing about drama queens is this. They're not trying to get help. They're emotional baggage dumpers. And you know it because they're not looking for a fix. They won't receive advice. They don't even desire to have a resolve. They are satisfied in the dumping. Does that make sense? 
And if it's not today dumping something, it'll be something tomorrow that they're dumping. But when you try to bring resolve, education, help, direction, they don't want that. It's just, that's a good sign. It's a drama queen. Now, here's the third one. This one is me. Are you ready? Blabbers. <laughs> Blabbers, hush. <laughs> and I'll just be honest, me in my 20s and 30s, started growing out of it in my 40s. Now in my 50s, I think I'm over it. But man, I'm telling you, I, I had to talk so much. Why? I was looking for validation. I started ministry really young. I was 19 when I started preaching. And as a young person, I always felt insecure in what I was doing. And I needed validation. So I was an incessant talker. We would get out in the car sometimes, and Amy would say, Gosh, Ross, you never shut up. I said, I was at the hospital one time, one of my early hospital visits. I'm about 21 years old. And Mr. Champion, sweetheart of a man, used to play our organ in Ohio, Chuck Champion. He was in the hospital. He's been passed for years. And um, I started off by stepping on his hose. Was early visit. I hadn't visited people yet. So he, I think you're on my hose, Pastor Ross. Oh, I am, you know. And then I'm sitting there, and I go into my talking, 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 talking. And all of a sudden, he just says, Pastor Ross, is it possible for you to stop talking? I just, I just need to rest. I'm like, I'm going to step on your hose on purpose. Jerk. No, I teased it out. He's a sweetheart. But he was helping me understand. This isn't about you, Ross. Why are you talking so much? You've come to comfort me, but somehow you turn this into something that's about you. And I found myself as a young man doing that, waiting to have a window to interject so I could tell my story, so I could get my accolade, my validation. And I've had to learn through the years that I don't need others to validate me. Amen? I've had to learn that. And that was difficult, you know? You've had those people who are incessant talkers and they're talking to you and they just won't be quiet. And they're just talking, talking, you're waiting for that window and, and you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to jump into that window to communicate. And here's the thing. If you're talking to somebody and you see the eyes glass over, take that as a hint. And I, I say that from the guy on this side of those glassed over eyes. I mean, I've seen those eyes. I've seen them. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. I'm talking too much. Take that. And then they just keep going and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And finally they're done and they're like, well, oh, great talking with you. I don't remember talking with you. I, I remember listening a lot, but we didn't really have a conversation, right? We've all seen that before. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, or that person will start to talk about somebody third party. So my friend went on a vacation on a cruise, and when she was on the cruise, there was this porter, and then this porter's mama was sick. And the mama of this porter, I'm hearing a story fifth hand. I like, like, I want to know about the person I'm talking to, not fifth hand stories, but they just, they just got to tell another part of that story. In Ohio years ago, when I was a young pastor, um, I, I always said that I had this lady we called a seven pew lady. And actually, I knew her from my dad's church when I was about 17. And I'm um, since passed away, sweetheart of a lady. And I, she was a seven pew lady because you would start at the front with her. And as she would talk, you would step back a pew because she was a close talker. Now, this is where I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> Not only was she a close talker, she had a mole on her lip that had, and she always had pretty lipstick. So this bright red mole on her lip. And I'm 17 years old. So all I can do is watch, follow the, follow the bouncing mole. I'm just watching it, watching it. 
And I would step back, and it would come after me. And I'd step back again. And then I'd step back again. And it would be like seven pews. That's why I call it seven pew conversation. Like, I'd just keep backing up. And my brother-in-law, he would see it, and he'd just be like dying laughing because he knew what was happening. She's a sweetheart, you know. Like I said, she's, she's in heaven now. God rest her soul. I said soul. I did not say mole. You guys are evil. It wasn't, it was God rest her soul. But, um, or I remember a guy, and this is a, a trick I used to do. I still do this. You're talking to somebody, and it's time to go away. If you see somebody quarter away from you, right, they're opening their stance for the getaway. This is what they're looking to do. And so this fella didn't get those cues. So I would open my stance. Uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, right, uh-huh. Okay, well, you know what? Next week, give me a call. Well, okay, yeah, well, and I can't tell you how many times I would be talking like this. All right, sounds good. If you see a guy doing that, it's time to stop talking, amen? So I say all that just to say, blabbers and I have been on that side of it. And it does, a lot of times comes from a place of of insecurity or need for validation, you know, um, and so on. So, (laughs) and those emotional vampires, they're they're like kind of like time suckers, you know, they just take that time and we'll talk about that in a second. The next one is financial freeloaders. Yeah, people who are habitually in need because of their own financial poor habits. The problem with that is we want to have a full heart of compassion for people who are truly in need. But listen, don't miss this. We need to understand if we're not careful, we can keep overly needy people needy. If we're not careful. We can encourage people in their codependency of others if we're not careful. We need to be people who help without enabling. Does that make sense? We got to understand how to help without enabling. The problem with that is that creates tension within us. And so I want to look at how we can manage that tension to be able to help without enabling. We can see Jesus in Matthew 9, 36. It says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Say compassion. Because they were weary and scattered. He saw their need. They were like sheep having no shepherd. And so we can see Jesus seeing this moment where there is need. These people need a shepherd. And he's so moved with compassion. I love the Greek word. The Greek word is splanton. Everybody say splanton. That's pretty good. And it literally means like from the intestines or bowels you feel sympathy. Like that's how bad Jesus wanted to help these people. Like he felt it, that inward affection, that tender mercy, but felt it like almost like a pain, like deep in his stomach. Moved with compassion he wanted to help. But here's the thing. We know that Jesus cared more than anyone that has ever lived on the planet. We know that. But here's the tension. Jesus did not heal everyone or grant every request. He didn't. Jesus even said to his disciples one time that the poor will always be with us. In other words, there's always going to be need. So Jesus didn't try to meet every single need in every single moment. And so if Jesus didn't, I can't, right? And so I can't give you, though, a cut and dry plan for dealing with the overly needy. I want to, and I'm going to give you some principles, but I can't just make it super one, two, three, this is it. Why? Because we need to live with this tension. It's good. That tension is good because it causes us to ask God for direction when it comes and guidance when it comes to helping other people in need. All right? So let's look at some of the keys 
to embrace if we're going to position ourselves to be able to help without enabling. So in living with this tension, number one, we need to learn to offer what they need, not what they want. I'm going to say that again. Offer what they need, not what people want. In Acts 2, or Acts 3, verse 5 through 7, we see Peter and John, they're, they're coming to the gate beautiful there at the temple, and there's a man who is begging for alms, alms from the poor, alms for the poor. He's wanting money in that moment. But I love what they said to him. They said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. That man got a miracle in his body. Isn't that better than coins in that moment? Yeah. And so in that moment, what happened? They gave that man not a hand out, but literally a hand up in that moment. And that's awesome. That's so important. They offered what he needed, not what he wanted. Uh, years ago, when we first moved here, um, it wasn't too long after being here, you know, finances were tight and we're trying to figure things out. And so I had laid some ceramic tile and, and you know, a guy asked me, hey, can you lay ceramic tile? Like floor tile? Yeah. I said, yeah, I can do that. He didn't ask me, have you? He said, can you? <laughs> I can do whatever I need to do to feed my family. Well, it turned out great. And then the same guy, hey, I got a, a couple new houses that need patios. Can you do rock, big circular rock patios? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Man, they came out awesome. But on one of the days that, like a few days before I started that project, I was at the coffee shop where we started the church, and um, it was an off day. I was just there having coffee and using it like an office. And a guy comes in, hey, I heard you're the pastor. I was wondering, can I have some money? And I said, well, I said, what's going on? He said, I just, I don't have a job right now. And are you out looking? Yeah, but there's nothing, blah, 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 and so on. I said, well, look, I need a worker. Tomorrow, I'll pay you 15 bucks an hour. And I remember, this is 18 years ago. So I'll pay you $15 an hour, buy you lunch, give you all the water and stuff you need for the day. And um, just meet me here at 8, and we'll go. And I'm doing this big, you know, these rock patio things. And well, no, no, I don't want to do that. I just need some money. <clears throat> So it's okay for me to go work to feed my family. So I was like, well, buddy, I said, I, I would love for you. I said, you know, when it comes to trades, you can always, this is what I'm doing. You can always find some money quick in Atlanta, especially when it comes to some trades. Just put yourself out there and be a volunteer, like, like serve, you know, work for somebody as a helper and you'll have some money. And, and he's like, no, no. I said, so I said, I'm going to Home Depot and picking up guys. This is back when you could do that. Man, incredible workers. In the first service, I just, I, I esteemed, I love the heart of our Hispanic people in America. I do, I do. Work, work, work hard. Man, I'm so proud. Just, my Hispanic friends are hard workers. And so, that's what I did. I went and I picked up guys because I couldn't get others with less melon in their skin, just being honest, to work. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I need helpers. And I got some good helpers. But this guy was not going to come to work. And so I told him, I said, I'm not going to give you a dime. Well, you're a Christian. I thought you were supposed to care. I do care. I care more about what you need than what you want. I want you to show up tomorrow and for the next two weeks work with me. Take home some serious good paychecks, you know, and, and not just get 50 bucks I'm going to give you right here, you know. But he wouldn't do it. So obviously... I didn't help him with what he wanted. I offered what he needed, not what he wanted. 
So the problem, though, sometimes what happens when people are in a place of need, there's tension in their lives, too. And so when someone is really needy, often they don't have the capacity, the judgment, or the sense to realize what they really need. They're looking for the quick fix. You're outside of that tension, so the tension you're managing is, God, how am I supposed to handle and deal with this, but what is their real need? I don't want to just provide the want. What is their real need? They may not even understand what their real need is because they're in the tension of it. Does that make sense? When I broke my shoulder years ago, I wanted drugs. I needed surgery. Does that make sense? Drugs would have been awesome, and they were. Don't sound like that. They helped, you know. But I would have been more crippled than I am. Like, this arm doesn't go that way. I'd have been more crippled than I am now had I not had the surgery to replace. I broke that humeral head off my arm, you know, to replace that. And um, still, it was worth it. Everybody, dirt biking, it was worth it. It was worth it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, offer what they need, not what they want. So, if we're going to offer what they need, not what they want, then we've got to identify first the real need. That's what we have to do. And I want to challenge you to be people of God. Ask God to reveal it to you. What is at the core of this? Do you know Jesus even said that when it came to him doing things, I only do what the Father tells me. So if Jesus is seeking God and what to do, we ought to seek God and what to do as well. Does that make sense? We ought to seek the, seek the, seek the Father. Somebody's telling you, I want to hang out more with you. All right, well, at the core, they need friends. What are they doing that's standing in the way of them having friends? I don't have any friends. Well, you need a better attitude. Could be, you know, that idea. Does that make sense? What are you doing to establish those friendships? Um, my life is in turmoil, somebody might say. It's just, or you see their life. It's always in turmoil. They need personal discipline. Will they help? Can you give them instruction and personal discipline to help them? Not just meet that quick need or that quick one, but to help them meet a true need of personal discipline. Maybe they have no direction. Well, man, you need Jesus, amen? Or you have no direction, and you have Jesus, you need wise counsel. Let's go back to God. When it comes to this, I, I think the Spirit of the Lord can give us revelation through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that. And I believe that there's times in prayer, God will give you a word of wisdom for somebody. They have a need. You're praying about how to meet the need. God shows you how to meet the need, not just the want. And it's not wisdom from yourself. It's a supernatural application of wisdom straight from God for that situation. Amen? Or the word of knowledge. My father-in-law years ago was a young man, a man in the church. He had just got saved, my father-in-law. And a man in the church calls up Larry and says to him, Larry, are you looking for work? He said, yeah. He goes, I was praying this morning, and I just felt in my heart that you're supposed to go downtown, and God's going to give you a job. Okay. So he goes downtown. He sees a guy working downtown on the gazebo of our hometown, and he talks to the guy, and the guy's like, what are you doing right now? He's like, I'm not doing that. Here, hand me that. Next thing you know, hand me that. Next thing you know, next thing you know he has a job. He worked with Jim Lookaball for a bunch of years, learned the trade, and then he went out on his own, and years later, Jim Lookaball worked for my father-in-law. And my father-in-law built fine homes and churches and all sorts of stuff, you know? But it started from a word of knowledge, not just helping the kid with a handout, but helping him out of a place of wisdom that God gave him, a prophetic word, if you will, or a word of knowledge, and he acted on it, and look what happened, you know? So identify the real need, all right? The next thing about that, with identifying that real need, or, or with... Um, offering what they need, not what they want. The next thing is pay attention to actions, not words. 
What are they doing, not just saying? I can't get a job. Are you looking for a job? Well, I haven't been for a couple weeks. Okay, I get that. Now listen, there's times when people are out there trying to get work. It's a hard, hard world sometimes. I get that. I want to have compassion, and I have compassion. Like I said, we help people when they can't, right? When they don't have. But all I'm saying is there's sometimes, and we've all had people in our lives that weren't trying real hard to meet their own solution. But they were really ready to walk in the solution you wanted to provide for them, right? That's called enabling, okay? Um, <laughs> this is horrible, but nobody will go out with me. Well, you haven't had a bath in two weeks. <laughs> and I say that in jest, but true. As a teenage young man, myself, we had a group of about five buddies, and we had one friend that would always complain because us guys are dating girls. We're getting that age, 16, 17 years old, and our one buddy is like, I can't get anybody to go out with me. And we were just like, Bobby, can we just be honest with you, buddy? We love you, and we're going to help you. And so we went to the store with him. And we bought him a toiletry kit and taught him how to brush his teeth and how to use deodorant and how to, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. And guess what? Got married and had a bunch of children. We did that. We did that, you know? Sweetheart of a guy, he just needed to be able to be taught something a little bit, right? So we paid attention not to the actions, or we paid attention to the action he needed, not the words, right? And so let's continue. We need help to help without enabling. The next part of this, if we're going to help without enabling, we have to set healthy boundaries, Set healthy boundaries for yourself. So Mark 1, 35 through 37, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found Jesus, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. He knows, but he's pulling himself away to take time with the Lord himself. You know, I mean, he's Jesus, but he was 100% man in the earth and he had to take time with the father. And so he's pulling himself away. Just like if you're on an airplane and they say it depressurizes, put the oxygen on yourself first. That way you can have for others. He knew he had to set the boundaries, and he was God Almighty in the earth. 100% God, 100% man. But still, that fleshly part of him, he knew he had to set boundaries. And so we have to set boundaries. One area of boundaries, we need to set our time boundaries. When we're dealing with overly needy people, we need to set time boundaries. And I was horrible at this until about four years ago. The way I used to do my day off, my Sabbath, I would call it, I would go about noon on Thursday to about noon on Friday. Do you know why I did that? Need a validation. Because if somebody on Wednesday said to me, Pastor, I need you tomorrow. I need a counseling session. I need a phone call. I need, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. I can do that at 10 tomorrow. If it was Wednesday, I could do it at 10 tomorrow. Because I knew I had from 6 a.m. in the morning till noon, I had six hours I could schedule something, right? Then I get my 24 hours off, noon on Thursday to noon on Friday. So somebody is reaching out and they need something on Friday, no problem. One o'clock on Friday or noon or two or, you know what I mean? And so I could work from noon to eight, noon to nine on Friday and never have a day off and still call it a Sabbath. Man, four or five years ago, my board got on to me about it. And they're like, you got to pick a day. And so Fridays are my Sabbath. And I work hard to guard those days. You've got to do the same with whatever it is in life. Because people that are overly needy will put demands on you. They don't care about your life in that moment. They want the meet meeting of their need. And so years ago, um, after a Wednesday night service, this is in Ohio, I had a guy came up. And he needed some talking right then. And, you know, to him it was an emergency. I could tell this is something long time coming. You know, let's talk tomorrow 
at this time or this time or this time, you know? No, I need now. I need now, you know? And I can't right now. But if you cared, if you were, you know, almost like if you were a good pastor, you would. And I said, can I just be honest with you? I was at the hospital at 6.30 this morning to pray with somebody before surgery. I've been at church all day long, didn't go home, did church service and preached. And now my wife and I, we have a cleaning business. My wife had a cleaning business for like 20-some years. And so I said, she and I, this is when Adelie was like a little baby, we, we clean an office and we'll be there till one in the morning. We're going there now. We'll clean for like three, four hours. And so what you're asking me to do is make my wife stay up. If I spend a half hour with you, my wife's going to stay up till 1.30 or 2 because she'll be down there working by herself until I get down there. No, I'm not doing it. Blah, blah. And he tried to guilt me. And I said, can I just be honest? I like my wife more than I like you. And then I asked Jesus to forgive me. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was probably rude. And um, anyway, I, I, I can't remember. I think we met the next day and everything was fine, you know? So just know when it comes to people that are trying, that are overly needy, they're going to press on you on your time. And you need to have boundaries. Because a person's lack of planning should not necessitate an emergency on your part. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And so it can be one of those things, sure, I can talk, but I have an appointment at this time, so I have this window. You know, you can do that in your own, own life. Time's important. I do that with a phone call. Um, I have a few people in my life I love, but phone conversations can go really long. And hey, I'm on my way home. I can talk until I get into my driveway. I got 20 minutes. I'm on my way to, I can talk. Does that make sense? I create time boundaries. And so, all right. And they still love you, you know, sometimes. <laughs> Resource boundaries. Things that you have. So yes, you can use my car for a week. Yes, I can give you this amount of money for a month, weekly, but that's it. That's all I can do. Create a boundary. You can stay in my basement for three months or six months or create a boundary. The reason you set healthy boundaries isn't because you don't care. It's because you do care. Why? Because enabling people isn't helping people. It's not. It's not truly helping him, them. We're about finished here. We want to have compassion for people, and so in doing so, we want to be able to offer what they need, not what they want, number one. Number two, we need to set healthy boundaries so that we don't, you know, burn out in helping people. And number three, and this is a hard one, we need to allow people to face their own consequences at times. You got to love people enough to allow them to face their consequences. In Galatians 6, 7 through 8, Paul wrote this, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. See, our actions have consequences. One of the greatest things we can do if we love someone is to not stand in their way of what God is trying to do in their life. There may be some people here in this room today or this is hitting you because you realize, man, I've been making decisions outside of God's best and I'm reaping some of the harvest of that. I'm reaping some of the seed of that or the, the, the harvest. Man, the, God can turn it around, all right? But just know that being rescued prematurely will not build maturity in a person at all. We see that from the prodigal son story where the father loved deeply, but he didn't chase after his son. When his son got to the place where his decisions had brought forth such a life that caused his heart to say, what did I give up? Then the son turned and went back to the father. But too often, 
we find ourselves helping people in that process, and God's wanting us to hold our hands back. Now, I can't tell you when or what. Like, that's between you and the Lord's not to show you that, right? <clears throat> but that man came to his senses and realized what his bad choices had resulted in. And us, if we're in this room today, and we're making some bad choices in our life, uh, and we're facing the consequences of those sinful choices, we got to own that. Amen? And not look for what we want, but what we need. We need to place it in the hands of Jesus, seek his change in our life. Amen? Walk free in him. We need not just want that. That's what we need. And so rescuing people often isn't helpful. And I just say it that way. Rescuing isn't always helpful. We have to step back and allow people to feel the weight of their decision. You have some roommate that's upset because they keep oversleeping for work. Why won't you wake me up? Because you're a grown man. By an alarm clock. Don't enable that, right? (laughs) Somebody's car is about to be repossessed or they can't pay their rent, but somehow they always have the newest iPhone, newest iPad, and that bag. You know? Mm. So helping them in that moment is not allowing them to understand really what's going on in their finances. Does that make sense? I had a family member that I love deeply, and I'm so proud of where he's at now. But years ago, from about 14 to about early 30s, the young man was in and out of jail constantly. And, you know, parents absolutely love their kids. And so they were always trying to bail them out, help them, you know, and it was years and years and years. But it was in and out, in and out, in and out. And it wasn't until the mom and dad finally just said, that's it. We love you. You're on your own to deal with this. It wasn't until that that he started to turn his life around. He ended up spending about six years in prison, got out, and that's been four or five years ago, doing incredible. He's a contractor right now. Just, just a, I'm so proud of this guy. But it was when he finally decided, it's time for me to grow up. Mom and dad aren't going to flow anything anymore. Man, and he's doing incredible in life. Does that make sense? Sometimes the path of destruction, it's the only way we'll learn. And we can't rescue people if God's using that to help them learn. Sometimes you in life will want things more than they want for themselves when it comes to dealing with overly needy people. And I'm going to finish with this story, and then we'll be finished. Um, Years ago, we had a couple in the church, and... I didn't realize this about them until they started coming, that they were always looking for the quick fix, okay? And I didn't realize that we were probably the third or fourth church that they had started to come to over a period of a couple years. And, and, and after they were with us a while, I started noticing, you know, this pattern, looking for the quick fix. And so um, they all wanted to get baptized, which is awesome. And so we baptized them, and, and um, they're at the church maybe six, eight weeks or so, and then we don't see them anymore, six months or so goes by and I get a call and they're going through marriage issues. So, hey, come on in. Let's do some counseling. So they come back to church. I do a session with them. They come back to church. Can't get them to schedule a second session or a third. I mean, like, just can't get them to keep going. But they start coming back for four, five, six, eight weeks and, hey, get on a ministry team. Get in a small group. You know, it's not like we just need you to volunteer. Those are places and environments that will help you begin to develop as a disciple of Christ. You know, get to a small group weekly. Gives you accountability. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. And this happened multiple times where they would come for a few months and then be gone 
You know, I think the longest time they were gone about a year. But then it was always something in their marriage or their family, and they would come back, and, and I would speak to it. And Well, finally, they just left because Momentum Church isn't going to be the fix. We can't fix them. And so they go to another church. And guess what? They all get baptized again. But then they do the same pattern. Not consistent, not trying to grow as a disciple. They want a quick fix. A couple years goes by, and Amy and I are, are uh, on an anniversary trip. And yep, we're camping together on Jekyll Island. And I get a phone call, and I was out getting some wood. And so I answer the call. Man, I haven't seen that name in a long time. I hope they're okay. I answer the, and he goes, Pastor, I need, I need help. You got to help me. What's going on, buddy? I've messed up. What, what's going on? I cheated with the woman. Oh, buddy. He said, but I did it in my living room. Oh. He said, my wife is just at her wit's end. I need you to come in to our home and anoint it with oil. And I need you to come and just cast those demons out because she can't get over this. I want to be like, I'll just save the oil and grab you by the nape of the neck and cast you out, and she'll be over it. But somehow he turned this into some supernatural thing, and he's just like, I need you to come and do this, and and I'll just be honest with you. I had seen over and over and over. It's like if you wanted to go to the doctor, and you're sick, and the doctor says, here's the medicine. This is the Rx you need. I know, doc, but I don't want to take that. What else is the doc going to do? All I have is Jesus and a growing relationship with Jesus to offer y'all. That's it. Now, that also employs counseling because Jesus uses counseling. Amen? I think Jesus uses medicine. If you need it, take it. I like my medicine. (laughs) Do what you got to do, right? But I think Jesus, but he wanted me to come in. And here's what I told him. I said, I said, I'm not coming. Well, what in the world? And I'm like, listen, you want me to come and do magic, and I am not a magician. And I explained to him, I said, you have treated church and the things of God like it's a genie in a bottle, and you come for a season hoping that this is the fix now, and then you go about your life, and it all falls apart. And then you come and you rub the lamp again, and, then, and I said, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I will disciple you if you come to the house of God. If you start to come to church, you don't have to come to my church. If you're going to a church on Sunday somewhere, I will meet with you weekly and pour into you. But you need to be going to someplace and getting poured into. You need to. You know? And I was challenging him, and he wouldn't do it. And, and, and I, I just told him, I cannot be a part of that because all I have to offer is a growing relationship with Jesus. That's my prescription for you. And he never would take that. He was hoping the new church would bring the fix. And the next new church would bring the fix. And that next, and then the baptism. And then this new place, baptism. And then, does it make sense? So I say all that. Pastor, that seems like a rant. It's not. Listen, there will be things, and there will be people that you want to help. But here's the thing. Remember this. When it comes to all this helping of people, Jesus is the Savior, not you. Don't forget that. He's the Savior. He's the one. He's the fix. Not you. He uses you if you're in line with him. And that's why we've talked about what we need to talk about today, all right? And so I want us to meet people's needs, not their wants. I want us to have some healthy boundaries when it comes to our lives, be able to have those healthy boundaries. But then realize there's people that they're making these bad choices. You need to let your hand be stayed a little bit. Pull that hand back. And allow them to face the consequences 
and be there for them when they do, to point them, point them where they need to go, but don't enable them to continue in that path. Amen? Amen. Close your eyes for a moment. <clears throat> if you're here this morning, and, and man, I'm telling you, you're like, I know that there are things in my life that I need to submit to Jesus. I know that if I was honest with myself, I, I may look at him as savior. He died on the cross, was buried, rose again. I get that. But to call him my Lord, the one I follow, the one I serve, I don't know if that's me. But I want it to be. I want to grow. I want to learn what it looks like to call him master. My Lord, the one I serve, the one I follow. The one that these people in the baptismal waters today celebrated their life being given to. I want that for my life. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If that's you, just lift your head up and look at me. If that's you, just look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to pray. Amen, amen. Jesus, right now, my friends that have a decision, uh, they've made a decision to walk after you. Lord God, as we come to you, we ask for that forgiveness of sins. We ask that you would forgive our sins, that you would come into our life, that, Lord God, you would allow us to begin to walk after you in such a way that we call you Lord and Master, not just Savior, but we give you everything for our life eternally. Like, in Jesus' name I pray. And Father, for those that are here that are trying to navigate overly needy people, give them that wisdom. Give them that discernment that comes from your spirit, I pray, Jesus. Allow them to be used that you might be glorified, that you might be seen in people's lives. Allow us to balance that tension well that we might help as you call us to help, but not hinder in regards to those people who are struggling with being enabled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.